I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today I have Rico Altieri. He's the executive pastor at New Life Covenant Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. He's been an official member since 1981, but he has been attending Sunday school at New Life since he was 10 years old. He has been married to his beautiful wife, Daisy, for 32 years, and they have two adult married daughters, Ariana, who he calls the kid, who is the oldest, and Cristina, who he calls the goo, who is the youngest. I love that, Pastor. I love those <laughs> nicknames that you've had for them all these years, and now they're like adults, and, and they're still cute, regardless of how old they are. I want to welcome you, welcome you to the Courageous Podcast today. Well, uh, thank you. I, the, the thing with the kids, I mean, they're, they're used to it. I'm, <laughs> I'm used to it. And then uh, they're defensive about it. Sometimes when I'm talking with my guys, I might call one of them kid, maybe Pastor David or Pastor Jamie. I say, hey, kid. And well, one time the oldest, Ariana, heard me call one of them the kid. And she's like, wait a minute. Yeah, no, you don't call them that. That that <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's her name. So, you right. know, and then the name thing stuck with the baby. I've never called her anything else. I've never called her by her name, which is a beautiful name. She's right. named after her grandma and her mom's side, Christina, beautiful. But uh, when she was born, I'm like, that's my goo right there. And she's been goo goo or the goo ever since. So uh, it's all good. I love it. So endearing. I love that. You know, we kind of use that in our house too. Hopefully Ariana doesn't feel a, a certain type of way, but my husband has been doing that. Uh, and I think his dad calls him that sometimes. Yeah. I've heard him do it. He did. Yeah, I've, heard and, him, I've heard him. I've heard him do it. I've heard him do it with the guys and with his son. Yeah. My father mm-hmm. called me kid. And uh, okay. my oldest friends, like of course, Pastor Choco, Pastor Ephraim, guys from the neighborhood, they call me kid. Well, I'm excited, obviously, to have you on. When I reached out to you, we saw each other somewhere at a party recently, and I said, hey, Pastor, you know, it's kind of been on my heart to have you on the podcast, and um, your beautiful wife, Daisy Altieri, was on recently, and she shared her courageous story, and hey, if you haven't heard her story, look for it. Daisy Altieri, an amazing woman of God who has overcome so much, and and you'll love that story of, of encouragement and victory, and I had said to you, hey, I'd love for you to come on, wasn't sure kind of where we were going to head with the story, but I always ask God to just put people on my heart. And we had talked about some ideas about a story and, and, you know, you are a man of God and you're all about serving men and like you keep it real and you take them to the retreat and you break them and you mold them. And I mean, I love hearing the stories. I don't know the who, but when my husband comes back from the retreat, I'm like, okay, give it to me. What happened today? Like, you know, what were they ministering? Like, what did Jamie say? What did Pastor Rico say? Like, I get excited. And so, you know, I sent you some information and you responded and and you said, hey, I'm going to share about my sister and, you know, her battle with cancer. And I was like, no way. I had no idea that you would even consider sharing that because I know how difficult that story was and 
Her husband, Brad Ismael Hernandez, shared his part of the story and his journey with his wife. And I love that you decided to share her story and your relationship with her and kind of your journey and your struggle. And so take us back to that time, 2012, where you kind of began to see some things in your sister and the fact that actually she wasn't feeling well. Well, my sister, it turned out that my uh, where I live right now, we've been here about 15 years, I think going on 16 years. And the only reason my wife and I purchased this home, uh, this was a new neighborhood for us, North Lawndale. I've always was, you know, I grew up in Humble Park, worked in Humble Park, spent my entire life up until that point uh, on that side of the city in Humble Park, never even really anticipated to move anywhere else outside of that neighborhood. However, circumstances being what they were came to the point where we decided, look, we, we need to get a new space, a new home. So anyway, uh, we wind up over here in North Lawndale, but I wanted to kind of dictate who my neighbor was. A new neighborhood and part of a program of homes that were for sale on this side of town. People from the church were purchasing homes on this side of town in North Lawndale. Well, my sister was looking and a couple of really, really good friends. And for me, it was, Lord, if I can't have one of them next to me, I'm not going to do it. Turned out that my sister, Naomi and Brad, my brother-in-law, got the space right next to us. So it worked out and uh, we both purchased our homes at the same time. And uh, so my sister was my next door neighbor all those years. So, you know, we saw each other all the time coming in and out of the garage and and things like that. From time to time, I would walk over or she'd walk over here or my brother-in-law. And when the baby came along, I had never known my sister to really be sick. You know, I don't mm. remember any significant life things. Yeah, my sister, my sister had kind of a crazy young life, and uh, so that didn't surprise me. But I, but it wasn't that she was ever sick, and I noticed right. that uh, she wasn't feeling well. And uh, she told me about it, and of course we pray and we're people of faith. But um, she went to the doctor. Uh, long story short. And on her birthday, I believe, seven years ago, she received uh, news, a diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer. It would have been uh, December 27th, uh, which is her birthday, you know, and you got to, you have to kind of get over that part of it, that it was on her birthday. Right. So then you kind of go into a mode, you go into a mode of of prayer, you go into a mode of encouragement, you go into a mode of uh of just kind of being next to her at this time, trying to encourage and support her. And, and of course, Brat, my brother-in-law and the baby Sophia at that time. So, you know, that was kind of how I responded for me, you know, having been a pastor already by that time for a while, you know, part of what we do, Madeline, we're around these sort of things all of the time. You know, we, people know we don't just preach, we're in people's lives. So having been around or a part of or a privy to diagnosis of cancer or sickness or disease or death or crisis or marriage issues you know I was used to this sort of thing it's what I'm called to do however when it when it's your family it hits close to home you know and when my sister told me you know my initial gut reaction was like a brother you know it kind of hit me but the next thing that happened to me, I did not anticipate, you know, I just kind of went into a mode of indifference. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel one way or another about it. I, I think it was a defense mechanism on my part. I don't know. Right. Um, uh, but I went into just 
indifference. I didn't want it to kind of drag me down. So I just decided I'm going to pray for my sister, be here for my sister, go into big brother mode. Mm -hmm. So I didn't let it bring me up or down. Of course, it was unfortunate, but that was how I responded. And as, as a man of God, you know, you're a leader, a pastor of such a big mega church. As you said, you know, it's your responsibility to shepherd and just help others through the difficulties of life. And, you know, obviously helping people navigate through illness can be so difficult. What was your initial response? Or when I think of you, like, what was your plan of attack? Like, hey, this is what we're going to do, or this is what I'm going to do. Like, what was that initial thought? Well, after I got over the initial shock, you know, remember, this is my sister and I'm the big brother. I've always had uh, a disposition towards protecting her since she was born. Mm -hmm. You know, after that initial thing, then it's like, I know my family. We're not a perfect family by any means, but it's my family. And I know the nuances and the idiosyncrasies and the the tendencies. And so for me, the first thing was I went into drill sergeant mode. The first thing that I remember, Madeline, there's probably things that my brother-in-law would have maybe a different take on it or my wife or, or my mom. But the first thing that I remember, I had a meeting with the family and I went into drill sergeant mode and I, I didn't scold them, but I was very firm. And I think what I was trying to do was to project strength, even though there was parts of me that wanted to fall apart but I felt I was the oldest son and uh, my parents were a little older by this time. This was a tremendous hit to them and I wanted to project strength. So what I did, I, m- I had a meeting with my family and I remember the, the gist of what I told them was, hey, no self-pity. You're not sick. You don't have cancer. Naomi has cancer. So don't act like you have it. We need to be strong for her and we need to encourage her, her husband, my brother-in-law, Brad and to be there for the baby. And we need to pick up the slack. We're going to be on a journey now. It's going to be tough. Um, I had no idea at that point I knew where it was going to go. I'm hoping she's going to be healed during that time. Little that I know that less than a year later, she was not going to be healed here on earth. It's so hard when in your family, you have to project, like you said, strength, even though there might be parts of you that kind of want to break down, but you don't have that opportunity to do that. And so I know that as she was going through this journey, everyone was praying for her and lifting her up. And she herself was like, hey, I'm going to be healed. You told me a story that one day you went with Naomi to visit your cousin in prison and that on that particular day, you just saw something different. And you realized that this cancer thing was much worse than maybe, you know, what you had anticipated. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, Madeline, that that day, that moment might have been the toughest of the entire thing, even considering that my sister eventually uh, passed away to be with the Lord. I realized at that moment that I was in denial about my sister's sickness and disease. Here's what I mean. My sister kind of put a bucket list together, things that she wanted to do, people that she wanted to either reconcile with or see as the disease was progressing. So my cousin, who happened to be in prison at the time, this is my first cousin. You know, she was like a sister to us when we were coming up. My sister wanted to see her. So big brother. You know, I'm like, okay, baby, let's go. We're going to go see her. So we went, I think it was around the summertime. Remember my sister's diagnosed in December. I think it was around the summertime. Uh, she's dealing with this. She's deteriorating little by little. But my sister had this tenacious attitude about getting healed and doing everything that she could to keep life normal and, 
you know, she was approaching it with a great attitude. We get to the prison. My sister by this time has an air tank uh, with little wheels on it that she would cart with her. Fine. I get her parked. I get her settled in. We go through the red tape to get into the prison to visit my cousin. And I remember we had just walked a few feet and my sister says, uh, Junior, I need to stop. You know, she called me Junior. And I looked at her I'm like, what do you mean you need to stop? Come on, let's go. Let's, you know, let's power through. She looked at me in this way that I'll never forget. And she's like, Junior, I need to stop. I need to rest for a second. And I'm looking at her and looking at the air tank. And it hit me right there. Right there, it hit me, Madeline, like a ton mm-hmm. of bricks. Like, I've been in denial about this. This is real. My sister has limits on her that I did not want to accept. You know, so I got it. I'm like, okay, baby. Okay, no problem. You know, I wait with you here. She didn't know. Maybe she did what was going on inside of me. But it hit me right there. It was a defining moment in this journey with her where I finally accepted this might not go the way that I'm hoping it will go. And we got through the visit and it was a beautiful, beautiful visit. Tears of reconciliation, tears of joy, tears of sadness. Mm -hmm. But she got to see her cousin, who she loved very much. We went back home, but then it was different. Remember I said that in the beginning, my approach was indifference. Yes. That I was just not going to feel anything. I wasn't going to let me take it up, take it up, take me down. It was no longer indifference. Now I had a definitive feeling and it wasn't hopelessness. It just hit me hard. This might be my last few months with my sister. Hmm. That's that's difficult. Obviously, we're called to have faith and be strong and push through these situations because it's what God calls us to do. And he wants us to be an example for others and believe. You said that she was deteriorating over all of these months. What was it like for you to see your baby sister deteriorating and changing and getting weak so quickly? It was gut-wrenching. It was terrible, Madeline. You made reference to the way that I disciple men. You know, we we call that rated R discipleship. You know, it, mm-hmm. it is a tough, confrontational, in-your-face way. It isn't for every man. It's not Sunday school. Um, right. There's a group of men that respond well to that. They like to be discipled that way. I loved being discipled that way by Pastor Marrero, Pastor Choco, Pastor Ephraim, my dad. I responded well to that that kind of tough discipleship. So there's this image out there of me as this tough guy. I'm a veteran. I grew up in Humble Park. But man, I got to be honest with you. A lot of that stuff is baloney. I'm not calling it a lie, but a lot of it is image. With my sister, no, she was not into image. I'm her brother and that's that. She right. knew my vulnerabilities. She knew me. So you know, for lack of a better term, I'm soft when it came to my sister. So seeing her deteriorate that way, my sister was just beautiful. She was, everybody's sister's beautiful, but you know what I mean. Yes, yes. Physically beautiful and vibrant and gregarious and, and just a beautiful personality, you know. So seeing her physically change this way, the ravages of cancer, she had triple negative breast cancer, which is a more aggressive breast cancer. So this mm-hmm. was happening fast. Her color changed. Her hair fell out. Uh, obviously, she was physically weaker. There's an air tank, very limited physically. And it was it was hard, Madeline. It, it was hard. And, and then to not show it. The great thing about the relationship between my sister and I, and even my baby, baby sister, Taina, is that I don't have to be Pastor Rico. I don't have to have an image. This is Junior, the mm-hmm. dork big brother 
who picked on them and messed with them. And <laughs> so th- there was none of that image stuff. But I still felt in light of what she was going through that I needed to be the strong big brother. So it was torturous for me to be in that. Like I, I wanted to be honest, but I couldn't. I needed right. to be strong, but inside of me, I was devastated to see how cancer was ravaging her. And it was a tough lesson, Madeline, but I really learned. My sister taught me what cancer does. Hmm. And so now as a pastor, it equipped me because when I'm dealing with families going through this, I understand what they're going through to see your loved one, your daughter, your mom, your little sister, your aunt, your friend. I, I know what they're going through as they watch this person deteriorate as a result of cancer. I mean, you're telling the story and I still get emotional about it. I can't even imagine. Um, she was so beautiful, so amazing. And I mean, like when you see somebody that's so beautiful on the outside, but when you know that they are so beautiful on the inside, it's like a whole different thing. I literally learned about courage and strength through her. I thought that I was strong, but when I saw her going through that, I was like, you know what, Lord? And I honestly said this, if I ever go out in that way, I have to be an example the way that Naomi was to all of us, because I want people to remember that strength and I want that to carry on. And she left that in me, let me tell you. And I know a lot of strong women, but she's definitely on that list of courageous women in my mind. And and I love her for that. And so we know that she didn't even make it a year to her next birthday. Take us through those last 48 hours and that quiet, intimate time that you got to enjoy with her before she went to be with the Lord. Well, um, by this time, the things had gotten pretty bad. She's still at home uh, next door to me. Brad, my brother-in-law calls me, says, Junior, it, it's looking pretty tough. She's having a bad day. I'm going to take her into the hospital. And that, that that took a lot of arranging. And my brother-in-law did great with that. And let me say about my brother-in-law, you know, he's just one of my heroes, the way that he handled this with my sister. And, you know, I'll be indebted to him for life for the way that he handled this with her and took care of the baby. And so I just want to pause and say that about my brother-in-law. Um, then mm-hmm. emotional there. So let me take a breath here. That's okay. So he calls me, uh, Junior, here's where I'm at, going to the hospital. By the time he had made all the arrangements and got my sister to the hospital and got her settled in, he was exhausted. The baby was exhausted. And he says, Junior, do me a favor. Stay with your sister tonight, through the night, and uh, I'll relieve you in the morning. Let me put the baby down. Let me get some rest. I'll be here in the morning. And I'm like, absolutely. It, you know, it was second nature. Absolutely. I'm the big brother. Uh, I'm not really knowing at that moment, Madeline, how much time my sister, because she's coherent, lucid, talking. So I'm there in the hospital room with her. And I remember she had this little box. I didn't tell you this. My sister had this tiny little box that she was holding on her stomach. In that box was a stick of gum and a Pokemon card. I assume the Pokemon card was the baby's. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was holding it a certain way where she was really deliberate and intentional to hold the box. And I would mess with her and take the box. And I could tell she was a little uncomfortable, but she didn't say anything. And I messed with the box and I messed with the gum. And I looked at the <laughs> card. I gave it back to her. And I remember how, again, how intentional and deliberate she was about holding the box a certain way. And I guess it was some semblance of control of the last thing that she could control. Again, I didn't share this with you. And my sister, we talked all night. We would nod off. We were exhausted. She was exhausted. I sat there all night. And I remember one, she said to me, Junior, I believe 
that Jesus is going to walk through that door. She pointed to the door of the her room that Jesus is going to walk through that door and he's going to walk in here and he's going to heal me. So I, I don't want to react. I want to be cool. And, you know, some of the ways that I deal with things is with humor. So I'm like, oh, OK, OK. You know, Naomi, well, if that's true, let me get myself together, because when he walks through the door, you know, it's the Lord. You know, I want to be right. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Exactly. Some questions or something, you know, <laughs> around. And uh, but man, she had faith literally to the end. She never came to turn, at least not to me. OK, I don't want to speak on behalf of my mom or my brother-in-law. To me, she never came to terms with I'm going to die. Please take care of my son. Take care of my daughter. She didn't say things like that. She was like, Jesus is going to walk through that door and he's going to heal me. So I'm with her like, okay, baby, then all right. I want to be here. I get, I'm glad I get to witness it. It didn't turn out that way. We went through the night. My brother-in-law came in the morning, like he said. And uh, later on that afternoon, uh, he called me and he said, you know, Junior, you need to get here. You know, when I got back to the hospital, you know, she had, uh, she had gone to be with the Lord and, uh, you can imagine what the room is like. It is what it is. You know, a, a broken-hearted husband, broken-hearted brother. Then it becomes similar to other people's situations. You know, for us, my sister's with the Lord. So it's different. You're going to miss that person, but your hope that they're going to be with Jesus has been realized. So your pain is tempered with the hope and even joy that they're with the Lord. And I'll say this, the Lord spoke to me, Madeline. And I know you're a believer and people that are believers are listening, are going to hear this. He spoke to me and he does speak. And God told me just prior to my sister passing away, stop praying for her. My response is, well, well why? You know, I want her to be healed. This is what you do. You, and he said, I'm going to heal her in heaven. And whatever you're praying for will not be as good as what I'm going to do for her. Oof. I learned a lot right there, Madeline. Wow. I learned about God and I learned a lot about heaven and I learned a lot about our expectations and God's reality. Our expectations do not line up to the reality of God. It's way better than our expectations. I wanted my sister to be healed, but of course she would have gotten sick again eventually like we all will. Lazarus was healed from death, but he would ultimately get sick and die again. So I, I took the Lord at his word and it changed me. It brought me a certain sense of peace. My sister passed that day. Yes. And I was devastated. Yes, because I miss my sister. And I think about my brother-in-law and I think about uh, Sophia, her daughter that was left behind. But God is sovereign on his throne, loves my brother-in-law and loves Sophia and loves us. Yes. But uh, when he spoke to me and said, stop praying, I did. We serve such an amazing God. And it's so difficult to accept as well for our family and for the things that are happening in our life. But we just have to trust him to the end. You know, we just have to trust his plan. And I remember you telling me that when she passed away, you said specifically these words, the mistakes started happening. Clearly, as the head of your family, as the big brother, planning her memorial services, organizing the details and pictures and creating this amazing celebration of her life. But you never took the time to mourn her and the loss and the pain that you were feeling. So clearly, when people go through that, they just stay busy. You know, I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to do this, that, whatever. And I'm just going to put kind of put this in a box to the side. And I guess I'll deal with it one day. And many months later, you said that 
you were in your prayer closet and that you had a difficult encounter. Tell us about that. Um, I didn't know at the time, you know, remember I'm a pastor, so I've, I've pulled the plug on other people's family members. I've advised them as to whether, how to handle a death, how to handle burial and things like that. You know, I've done that with other people. I did a lot of the arrangements for her memorial service, but I, I was not intentional about taking the time to mourn my sister. I rationalized that the best way for me to deal with it is to just be strong, to work my way through it. I love what I do. I find great peace and joy in my work as a pastor. So I thought it would make sense. If I find peace and joy in what I do, then I'll keep working as I mourn. But that's not mourning. It's working. It's not lamenting. It's mourning. My pastor confronted me. Bless his heart. Pastor Choco came to me and said, soon after my sister had passed, he says, look, kid, you know, take some time off. You know, mm-hmm. you're, my, you're my little brother. What do you want to do? But I'm encouraging you to take some time off. We'll cover things in the office. And I literally said to him, pastor, I will heal this way. I would prefer to keep on working. And he was a great pastor. He said, okay. If that's, you know, you're a man, you're grown. If that's what you want to do, all right, then go ahead and work. (laughs) Little did I know that as time was passing by and I was suppressing this pain, suppressing this, these feelings that it would catch up to me. And it eventually did. I'm in my prayer closet. I had a regular schedule of prayer closet on Mondays and uh, prayer closet meant a bunch of things. I either pray or I worship or I dance or I speak in tongues or I read scripture. Or I just be quiet. My prayer closet kind of had a flow to it. Anyway, it was summertime and this overwhelming feeling of dread came over me. From that point, I didn't have a precedent in my life of feeling depressed. I didn't know what depression felt like because if you would ask me then, I, w- I would say, I've never been through depression. Right. I assume this is a depression. This overwhelming feeling of dread came over me. Madeline, bottom line is, this is what I felt putting it into words. I did not want to live another day. Hmm. That's what hit me. So I didn't panic. It wasn't suicidal thoughts. There's a difference. I didn't want to kill myself. I didn't want to live another day. I'm looking ahead saying, what's the point of living? I didn't know why. I didn't even connect it to my sister at that moment. You know, I'm like, what the heck is going on? I call my wife and my wife you know, a woman of God and a great Mm -hmm. mother. And she is a therapist, a licensed therapist. So she's got some professional skills, but she's a wife. She said, babe, don't worry. Be cool. I'm on my way home. I'll be right there. So she's on her way home. I text a couple of guys in my inner circle and like, look, dudes, here's where I'm at. Here's what I feel. And they handled it great. They didn't overreact. They're like, bro, we got you. Don't worry about nothing. We're praying. Let us know if you need anything. So there was just this crash. I had this crash. I had been asked to preach at John Hanna's church, one of the greatest churches in America. You know, our Mm -hmm. brother, Pastor John Hanna, to speak to his leaders. I'm scheduled to preach. It was a high, high honor. And I couldn't get my mind. You know, I love preaching. I love teaching. You know, I'll do that for nothing. I don't have to call to do that. And then at John Hanna's place, I knew And uh, I couldn't. And I called my pastor out of desperation. I'm like, pastor, I'm scheduled to preach and teach over here and I'll do it. But I got nothing. I I can't. I can't. I just can't. I can't get myself to put my thoughts down. And what am I going to do? I'll power through. And he was like, kid, no way. This is John Anna. This is my brother. We can't have that. You don't have to power through. I will replace you. I will preach and teach on your behalf. And he did, you know, they were getting better. They were getting Pastor Choco and he took care of that. But 
I'm going through this thing. I'm getting plenty of support. In August of that year, we have a leaders meeting. We have an annual leaders summit. By this time, I'm leading a group called the Red Pillar. My group was the Red Pillar, and it was certain ministries. You know, I always want to project strength and leadership to them. But what I did, Madeline, was I confessed. Hmm. I confessed to them in that hotel what I was going through. I didn't know how they would respond, but I felt I needed to confess. And Madeline, those people, they literally got on top of me. First of all, one of them spoke on behalf of the group and said, Pastor, you've been there for us. Right. We're going to be there for you. Amen. And they literally got on top of me, physically on top of me, laid hands on me, anointed me with oil, pressed me down to the ground. The way that I would describe it is that I could feel the weight of their love. Hmm. And they prayed over me and on me. The healing process began there. It didn't happen instantly with the girls and my family and my friends. The healing process for me began there. And eventually I did heal. I missed the hell out of my sister, Madeline. Oh, I can imagine. I think of her and I cry. You know, this week I found a picture in the basement. My wife and I were cleaning things and uh, there's a picture of me at a party that we had for her when she was sick and I'm carrying her. And I was very physical with my sister. We didn't have no boundaries. I would get in bed with her. I would kiss her, bite her. You know, I didn't care Mm. about her. Uh, I remember being in the chemo chair with her on top of her. (laughs) You know, we just were like that. I was very physical with her. So, you know, it's a picture of me holding her up, carrying her. And I just started to, you know, and it hit me. So I still miss her. I do. I'm at peace, of course, that uh, I'm going to see her again for sure. And she's with my dad and other loved ones. But I healed, though. Wow. I'm so glad. You said she taught you a lot of great lessons. Tell me a few of the things that, that she taught you on this journey. Some of what you shared, her strength and her faith. I get all the pub in my family because I'm the loudest one. And because I probably have the position with the most notoriety, I'm a pastor at a, at a great church. So, you know, I get a lot of the pub. I get a lot of the attention. But if you ask my baby sister and me, of the three of you, which was which was the best one? I think Diana and I would both say Naomi was the best one. <laughs> Diana and I are kind of cranks, you know. Uh, yeah the most social people in the world. We Sometimes we could be prickly. We're private. Naomi was not like that. So she maintained that through her sickness. She still wanted to be with people. She still wanted to love on people. She still wanted people at the house. She still wanted people to visit. She still wanted to encourage and love on people. I learned so much from that. My sister died with dignity. My sister taught me, this is how you handle this sort of stuff. You live your life at the fullest, whatever life you have left, you live it to the fullest. You live it with faith. You live it believing. Remember the last day, the last night before she passed, she's telling me, oh, Jesus is going to walk through that door and heal me. Amen. There were a lot of lessons, Madeline, but that one, that one I'll take to heaven with me. That lesson about dying with dignity and all of these other virtues, that one, that one's going with me to heaven. Amen. I love that. And, you know, I've heard so many amazing things from people when they've heard Brett's story on the podcast. They don't even know her. And they've reached out to me and said, Madeline, the story was amazing. And I feel like I know Naomi and her family and her strength. And I'm going to share this with, you know, my friend or my mom or whomever that went through something like this and that they can relate and, and be encouraged by it. And so, you know, her legacy is living on as people are hearing her story. When people hear your story, 
your take, the big brother, and your relationship, this is also going to continue to help other people. And so I wanted to ask, Pastor, you know, what was your motivation to kind of push through this adversity in your life? Honestly, my mom and her was a motivation. I didn't want my mom to have to bury her daughter. This was motivation for me. I haven't mentioned that yet, but Naomi and my mom were best friends. Hey, you love your son. You know, moms love their kids. You know, my mom moved in with Naomi and Brad, my dad. She took care of my sister. So not only were they best friends, but mom was there. Madeline, I wanted nothing more. In terms of motivation, I wanted nothing more than my mom to get the gift of watching my sister be healed. Hmm. That was a motivation. My sister herself being the big brother, just being there for her, that was a motivation. They have a daughter. You know, my sister was barren for many years and my brother-in-law, and then they got a miracle named Sophia. That was a motivation for me. You know, I wanted Sophia to have her mom. I remember my sister telling me one night, I went over to visit her. We were hanging out in her bedroom and the baby was asleep. And she pointed to the baby. You know, my sister is deep in cancer at this time. And she's like, Junior, I... I want to live for her. I, I want to raise her. I took a mm. picture in my brain of, of my sister with the baby behind her, my sister pointing to her as she was sleeping. I want to live for her. So that was a motivation for me. So my mom, my sister, my niece, those were motivations. I didn't want a selfish attitude. I didn't want my sister to be healed for me. And you're right. It's easy to think that you want someone to be healed for you. And that happens pretty often, but you have to really be selfless and think about them and what they're going through and what's the best thing for them. And that's hard because you love your family, you love your sister, and and it makes it so difficult. And so as you look back, you know, is there anything that you think you would have done differently? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I want to mention something off topic from your question. Um, Yes. My father never recovered. I want to say that because that's going to bless somebody. Yes. I don't know how much you can learn from that, but the reality of it, you know, my father was sick by this time as well. My father never healed, never recovered from my sister's passing. Wow. And I, I say that as a son. There, a son knows his father. It's a soul level relationship. I know my father. He never allowed himself to be happy again after my sister passed away. So I'm just putting that out there. I don't know how bless people. I don't know how it'll, but it's real. And I need to mention my dad who has gone to be with the Lord himself. I have two daughters. He had two daughters and he lost that one. And my father never healed. He never recovered from it emotionally. Every time he even thought of my sister, he would cry. Um, Your question, what would I do different? I wouldn't change much about how I handled it while my sister was alive. I'm not saying I handled it perfectly I'm just saying that as I look back, that's not my priority. But once my sister did pass, I would have taken the time to mourn her. I would have taken the time to lament her passing. And now after my sister, I, whenever I counsel with regards to death and passing, I always identify the person who is the leader in the family, who's handling the arrangements, the funeral, the burial. And I always tell that person, look, for right now, you got to be strong. And you got to get your family through and you need to put these arrangements together to honor your loved one. However, when this is done, you need to be absolutely sure that you create the space and time that you need for you to lament and for you to mourn your loved one. That's the healthiest thing that you can do. So when my father passed, 
I applied those principles. I lamented my father and I gave myself the time to mourn. And it was a lot healthier experience than it was when my sister passed away for me. Mm. Amen. So definitely learned a lot of lessons from your sister and put those things into practice. I love that. I mean, that could definitely help so many people. And, you know, I just want to respond to what you said about your dad. And again, if somebody's listening, you know, if I put myself in your dad's shoes, um, like you said, you have two daughters, I have one son. Um, if for some reason the Lord were to take my son, I don't believe that I could recover from that. How does a parent prepare to outlive their child? I could never wrap my head around that. And for those people that have lost a child, I, I can't even fathom having to go through something like that. But I know the love that your dad had for his little girl and how proud he was. And you know what? They are celebrating together. And you will see them again. And, and that's also something to look forward to. And so when you and I were talking, I know you're not afraid to talk about anything. You know, you're definitely one of the toughest guys uh, that I know as far as our church. I mean, you tell it like it is. You're straight up. And I love that. And you're right. It's not for everybody. You know, not everybody can handle your type of preaching and teachings. But you said, I absolutely do not want to share this. And you repeated that to me many, many times, but you felt that the Lord was telling you, no, you're ready. You need to share this. So why, Pastor, did you decide to share this particular story? Well, honestly, Madeline, some of it had to do with you. I think you're gifted and, and anointed in conversation. We, we talked a little bit about trust, you know, that transparency is an exercise in trust. So you and I were talking and it, I developed this trust. I'm not mean-spirited when I say I don't want to share. So some of it was you. You're anointed to do this and God bless you in your ministry. The other part of it is I'm compelled as a pastor to do whatever I can to help other people. And I know, though I want to keep this to myself, I don't want to share it. I want it to be private, but I don't feel that that's the way God would want me to handle that. There are people that are going through similar situations that perhaps can benefit from hearing my story, some people would say my testimony with regards to my sister and this journey of cancer and, and sickness and limits. I hope this blesses someone. I hope it can identify. It might equip them a little. For example, with my dad, I felt I needed to say that because for the people that are left behind, like a father, like a mother, you need to be patient. You need to be graceful hmm. with them. You need to be loving to them. There were times where I went like, hey, pa, stop crying. Come on. She's in heaven. Telling somebody they're in heaven, that's not going to do it. It's yeah, not. they're in heaven, but that's heaven. I'm here now and I miss my freaking daughter. Yes. And I shouldn't have to have buried my daughter. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm telling them, yeah, hey, but she's in heaven. I don't want to hear none of that. I don't want anyone to tell me, Madeline, hey, the kid is in heaven. Mm. The goo's in heaven. Daisy's right. in heaven. I, I don't want to hear none of that. It's true, but I don't want to hear that. So perhaps someone next to the ones that are left behind can learn, hey, I need to be graceful and patient with this person who is wounded, who has yes. a hole in their heart because they lost a loved one. And telling them to be strong or to be tough or that their loved one is in heaven, maybe that's not the approach. Maybe just love the person and be patient. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. 
Thank you for sharing that, Pastor. That ministered to me right now in this moment. I know there's somebody out there that needed to hear that. We need to be graceful. And sometimes when we experience a loss, you know, I've heard people say, oh, it's already been six months or a year. You should get over that. It's like, what are you talking about? No, until you go through something like this, you do not know what it feels like. And so we can't be giving people advice if we don't know what it feels like to lose somebody that we love and to see them go through that this type of a journey. And so I wanted to ask you my last question before we end today. As I was hearing you talk about your sister, even before the interview, and if you had an opportunity to speak to Naomi today, what would you say to her right now? That one's easy, man. The question, the way you pose it, it's deep, you know, but it's actually, <laughs> um, I've thought about this. I would say thank you. She was a great sister. She was that sister. And Taina too, you know, and I'm, I'm yeah. so, she was a great big sister to Taina. There's this story where my little sister has got drama in, in school, right? In high school. Uh-huh. And she calls her big sister. Right. She showed up at the high school in a car full of hood rats. She <laughs> out of the car. Long story short, she's like, hey, this is how this is going to go down. And she pulls my little sister to the side. And Taina told me this story. She said, hey. You're going to kick that girl's butt or I'm going to kick your butt. That was Naomi. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I would say thank you. I would say thank you for things like that. She was a great big sister to our baby sister. She was a great daughter and friend to my mom and my dad. She was a great wife to Brad, great mom to Sophia, great sister to me, great aunt. My daughters adored her. Mm. There are things that they said, told her that they haven't told their mom or me. So I would just say thank you for everything, the legacy, her life, what she taught me both in life and in death and in the throes of death, the journey of cancer. I'm just grateful to her. I'm just great. And that's what I would say. Thank you, baby. You know. Yeah. Well, until you meet again, right? Which is the hope that we have in Christ. And so, Pastor, before we end, I know that there's obviously a lot of great things that are happening at our church at New Life Covenant. How can people connect with you? If they connect with your story, maybe if they want to know a little bit more about New Life, if they don't have a home church, or if they just want encouragement, how can they reach out to you? I'm not a big techie guy, Madeline, so I don't know all the technical terms. I'm on Facebook as Rico Altieri. My email, Rico, R-I-C-O, at mynewlife.org, M-Y-N-E-W-L-I-F-E.org, Rico, R-I-C-O, at mynewlife.org. If you're in Chicago, in and around Chicago, I think we've got like five or six campuses here in Chicago. The number to the church, 773-384-7113 is our main number. You could ask for Pastor Rico. Uh, They'll put you through to my voicemail. So if they email me, hey, Pastor Rico, I heard the podcast, I heard the interview, give me your cell phone number, I'll give it to them. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. This was amazing. And you know, just this morning, somebody reached out to me about Naomi. And I thought it was really interesting because I said, I'm about to record with Pastor and a complete stranger reached out to me and said, she believes that Naomi's story is still living on and still giving back. She heard the podcast. She said that she had been following Naomi's story and that her dream was to meet Naomi in person, but that Naomi had taken the time to reach out to her and they were messaging each other and Naomi was encouraging her because she was going through something. And so when I tell you that she continues to live on, it's happening. Her legacy 
is going to continue to go on. I mean, not only through you guys, as I told Brett, but through complete strangers that don't even know her, that wanted to meet her and hug her and love on her, but she left an impression on them. And that's what we want is for our loved ones to leave an amazing legacy and that, you know, that joy that they brought to the world continues to live in us and give us hope. And so I want to thank you. Thank you for being on the Courageous Podcast today. I know that your story is going to minister to so many people. And for any men that are out there, hey, it's okay to be a tough guy, but you know what? It's okay to say, hey, I need help. I need encouragement. I need someone else to pick me up. Pastor, I want to pray blessings over you, your beautiful wife. I pray for your family. I am so grateful that God has brought you to this place and that you will continue now to learn the lessons that your sister has left behind and walk the journey with other families that are struggling with loss and pain and mourning and that it's okay to be weak and allow God to say, hey, I can heal you. I can help you. But we have to reach out and we have to connect. And so if you ever, ever, Pastor, in the future have something on your heart, God put something that's that's powerful that you need to speak about, please, I welcome you back to the Courageous Podcast. The idea is always for us to love on people, encourage people, be honest and keep it real, but use this platform to continue to spread the word of God and what he's calling us to do. Madeline, thank you. I, I want to encourage the anointing and the call on your life and this ministry of this podcast. I believe with all of my heart that it is divinely appointed. It is anointed that God is using you through this means to bless and encourage and to help people to, to heal. My wife has a term that she's really embraced called the ministry of listening, that it is a ministry that we serve this way. So I'm grateful for engaging in this ministry of listening with you. Thank you for listening to me. I am profoundly grateful. Amen. I feel honored to listen to people's stories and to be able to tell their stories in a way that will just continue to give back and bless others. And so, as I told you, I'm going to treat it with kid gloves, with respect, because I feel that that is what God is calling me to do right now. And so I thank you and I receive all the amazing things. And so if you haven't heard Pastor Daisy Altieri's podcast, please listen to it. Listen to the story of Pastor Rico's other half and how amazing she is. Thank you, Madeline. Uh, let me just say this about my wife. Next time, have me speak first because <laughs> I've been to churches. I've taken my wife on the road with me and if they hear her speak first. They're not interested in anything that I say. <laughs> so I like to go ahead of her. They're like, yeah, Pastor Rico, your sermon was great. Boy, but your wife was really yes. amazing. So you got me on after her. I'm so, so sorry. For the future, don't let me come behind her because she's a tough act to follow. Hey, Pastor, you support the brothers out there, right? So, hey, I got to support my sisters. And, oh, and the, yeah, fact, yeah. the fact that she even was willing to talk to me about her story and the way that we connected uh, is amazing. She blessed me. And even afterwards, I mean, she blessed me in such a way. And so it was my honor to tell her story. But I will keep that in mind for the next time, I promise. Thank you. Be blessed. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at CourageousPodcast2020 
at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous. Courageous.